What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, this is Haley, one half of the Doozy crew. I just wanted to take just a second to thank everybody. We got really great response really quickly from people. And we're just wanting to say thank you to you guys. Uh, We are a weekly podcast at this point, but we just wanted to drop a little extra special bonus episode this week just as a thank you. So we hope you enjoy. Thanks, guys. Welcome back to This One's a Doozy. I'm Kevin. And I'm Haley. And we talk about stories of mystery, true crime, and folklore of the unusual, unsettling, and oftentimes unsavory goings-on of our world today, yesterday, and long ago. So, welcome back. Episode 2. Are you excited? I'm so excited. That was smooth as silk, that intro. I spent zero time working on it because so you did all the hard work proud of you <laughs> yeah but you delivered you know I, I i've been i've been told that i have the execution abilities of a sly fox before wow guess who told me that yourself i did just now it was you you As made that up that. listen to just improvising <laughs> cool it's you know i went to college for Five months. And then you wrote a song about dropping out of college. And then I did do that. And then I went back to college for about a year and a half online. And then, and then I dropped you dropped out, out again. again. <laughs> <laughs> and you, have a, you have to write a song about being a double dropout. Not many people can say that. Oh, yeah. You should go back to college again and then drop out a third time. Triple dropout. Yeah. yeah. People yeah. would write a movie about you. That could be my Instagram bio. It'd be a really sad movie. <laughs> <laughs> and it kept no. going back. And it kept turning out poorly. <laughs> It would not be a sad movie. I think it would be a great movie. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for all of your encouragement my Mm -hmm. whole life. I gotta know. The people want to know. What the heck are you drinking? (laughs) In case you can't uh, smell it through the microphone, it is scotch. Glen Murray scotch. I'm really proud of you for also knowing the name of what you're drinking this time. Yes, Yes, thank you. And... In case anybody at Glen Murray is listening, I would gladly take one free bottle of Glen Murray every month. You can sponsor us. That would be yeah. so cool. They don't sponsor me, but I, I'm trying to get them to. <laughs> <laughs> Flaming hot Cheetos. Anyway. 
Oh, man. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Are, about your... burned my eyebrows off with, <laughs> with whatever it is. We'll call it Glenn Murray. Glenn Thank Murray. you, Glenn Murray. Yes. What are, for you, my what are you enjoying tonight? I am enjoying a cup of water in a Starbucks cup with a sipper lid. Ooh. And just a little bit of ice. So if you hear any like clinking around, it's definitely the ice. And I'm sorry. Give us the sound. Let us hear. All right. That's the sound of that quadruple osmosis, clean, fresh Starbucks water. Mm. And mixed with Costco water (laughs) and gas station ice. Yeah. Yep. That's the sound. That's what we're all going after right now. Yep. Oh, so do you have a fun fact? I do have a fun tonight? fact. I do have yeah. a fun okay. fact. So What's, what is your fun fact? For those of you who don't know us personally, our entire house is full, like top to bottom, about everywhere in books. And many of those books so are many. Redwall books. If you haven't read them, if you don't have um, kids in the house that are readers yet, you might not have heard of them, but they they rock. So uh, I did learn this fun fact that the author, Brian Jakes, which I looked it up. It's pronounced Jakes. Nice. <laughs> Brian Jakes actually originally wrote the Redwall series for his friends at the Royal Wavertree School for the Blind. Um, he met them as yeah. he uh, was a milkman. What? He would deliver milk to the school and he really loved literature. So he would read to the kids and he was kind of discouraged at the books that were being kind of pumped out at the time. So he started writing his own. And instead of focusing mostly on like visual descriptions, he would focus on all kinds of sensory descriptions. So there's like a lot of emphasis on food and a lot of emphasis on texture and and that kind of stuff. And I just think it's like so incredibly smart, but also really, really wholesome and lovely because everybody should get to enjoy the magic of a good book. And he wrote like a thousand of them. Yeah. So that is my fun fact for the day. My my feel good fact. That is a feel good fact. Made of me all feel good. Feel good facts. That makes me feel good. I just yeah. I remember I remember I used to uh, go ride my bike <clears throat> by a school for the deaf, and uh, I never had the pleasure as a kid of meeting anybody that went to that school. But I just remember thinking to myself that 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 would must that must be a really interesting way to grow up is mm-hmm. in a, in a school that's specialized for you. Mm-hmm. And so hearing that and knowing that those books are written with that audience in particular in mind mm-hmm. as a seeing person for me, being able to say like, Oh, like I can describe something visually in color and shape and all that kind of stuff. And uh, they, they don't, especially if they were born blind. They don't, necessarily know all those things so mm-hmm. i think that's really interesting yeah there's and even like a cookbook that's really? got a bunch of the recipes and stuff yeah and even in in the huh. cookbook the sensory descriptions are like the feel of the bread and like that kind of stuff that's really interesting oh that's so cool wow i like that that makes me feel really that's like good. the right kind of compassion yeah like he saw a problem and he's like i'm gonna fix this problem yeah i'm no. gonna do my part yeah wow. he called that's... them his special friends yeah oh, which of is also very wholesome yeah yeah Wow, that's a real feel-good fact. It Episode is. two, you're pulling one out like that. Good luck coming up on uh, to. Top I've got that a one. list. Wow, I've got a long All list. Right. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to feeling good every time that we sit down to record a new episode of this. And then podcast. I'll bring you up to thirty-five thousand feet just to drop you, just to drop us hard on our faces. This one's not as yeah. bad as the ones that I have coming up. <laughs> the ones I have coming up are like 
is she okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, in that case, <clears throat> why don't we go ahead and make this segue? Haley has a story this week. So let's strap in because this one's a doozy. A doozy. Are we supposed to say it at the same time? I, we don't have to, <laughs> but we can. No, you can say it. So today is a little bit less intense, but it is more leaning towards just the weird. This is unusual with a capital U. Wow. So today. How many capital U's? All of the U's in unusual are capitalized, <laughs> all my friend. All the U's are capitalized. <laughs> There's a lot of U's. It's like being sarcastic. Unusual. Yeah. No, this is an unusual story. So uh, once again, I have fallen down the rabbit hole. Um, I just clamored away writing this story up. So proud of myself for how well-researched I am. And as I was simultaneously patting myself on the back and reading the disaster that I typed up, it was like, it's like 15 pages. I was like, yeah, once again, this is too convoluted. I need to simplify it. So I feel like that's going to be my process is writing up way too much. And then like blasting it to pieces and making it more simple. So classic. I did a cannonball into the life and times of this person. It's such an interesting story and I can't wait to tell it to you. So let's get into it. In December of 1976, a Universal Studios film crew had made their way to the New Pike Amusement Park in Long Beach, California, preparing to film an upcoming episode of the show The Six Million Dollar Man, which was to be titled Carnival of Spies. This particular episode was set to be filmed in the park's funhouse, which is called Laugh in the Dark, but Laugh is spelled L-A-F-F. Laugh in the Dark. Hmm. It was sort of like a creepy, twisted funhouse full of fun and spooky props. So as the crew rolled in and started moving stuff around and setting up their gear and all that, all was going pretty smoothly. Um, at one point during the shooting, a crew member uh, tried to move a mannequin that was hanging from a noose in the background. During his attempt to move the prop, oh. the mannequin's arm fell off. It was then that the crew made an absolutely astonishing discovery. Inside the arm of the mannequin, air quotes, uh, was an obvious, was obvious bone and muscle tissue of a very real human being. A human being with a remarkable story of someone much more famous for his life of travel and notoriety after death. So ominous. All right. Okay, so so this, uh, obviously, this mannequin... Is a human. Not yes, a it's not a mannequin. They thought it was a mannequin. They just okay. Well, let's also just pause and consider the insanity that someone left a mannequin hanging by a noose, or so they thought. Mm-hmm. If I walked into any building, any room, even if I'm on a movie set, and there's a mannequin hanging by a noose, I get need the to creepies up, right away. Yeah, I'm. I'm not leaving. Like, no. <laughs> Who was in here last? They're cleaning that thing up. <laughs> Obviously. The person that was in there last was a person in this case, mm-hmm. but I would not jump to the conclusion. Oh, someone left a mannequin there. I would. Wouldn't you think that that's actually a dead person? Well, I think if it was in a different place in the amusement park, it was in the creepy fun house. So oh, they I probably guess. thought it's just a creepy cowboy thing that they're trying to do, you yeah. know, like a twisted yeah. take on whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was the 70s, I guess. Yeah. The 70s. The 70s. It was a time. It was a time. <laughs> Yeah. So, okay. I'm going to tell you about this person, the mysterious, now one-armed, hanging cowboy. (laughs) So, (laughs) uh, apparently, one arm is a theme in this Mm. show. Add that to our show description. We mostly talk about single arms. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so, all right. (laughs) Okay, so, 
Elmer McCurdy was born on January 1st, 1880 in Washington, Maine to 17-year-old Sadie McCurdy. Sadie was obviously young and she was a single mother and I don't think that his father was ever named. If, if he was named, I never found his father's name. Hmm. So it's the 1880s and as you can probably guess, people weren't too kind to women who had children outside of marriage. Right. I mean, unfortunately, that's still true today in mm-hmm. a lot of places, in a lot of settings. Um, but it was like just part of the culture. So to save Sadie from the inevitable shame that was sadly so prevalent at the time, her brother George and his wife Helen adopted Elmer. By all accounts, George and Helen were great parents to Elmer, but sadly, George would die of tuberculosis when Elmer was only 10 years old. I know, sad. So up until this point, he had absolutely no idea that George and Helen were not his birth parents. So after he passed away, they decided, like, we should tell him. So they told him that Sadie was his mother and that they don't really know who his mm-hmm. birth, his actual birth father was. Yeah. And that Sadie doesn't even know who the birth father is. Oh, this would be shocking. At a yeah. Oh. Well, and like right on the heels of a traumatic loss. Yeah. Yeah. Like if he was like 30 and his dad died, then they told mm-hmm. him like, that'd be traumatic. But like, you're an adult. You can deal with that at 10 years old. Right. And they don't, no, you know, no the way. 1880s weren't exactly known for their like, you know, really super solid therapy resources and like, you know, like trauma recovery resources. That's right. not like a thing. Maybe it was, and I just don't know, but I, I'm going to take a stab in the dark and just guess that there weren't a lot of resources available for someone in Elmer's shoes, which is really sad. Yeah. It is super sad. So, I mean, this would shock anybody, but having just lost the man that he had grown to know and love as his birth father, Elmer began to rebel. Into his teen years, Elmer really took to drinking, which was a theme that would unfortunately continue throughout Elmer's life, along with the whole sort of rebel without a cause persona that began in his young years after his father George died. So for a while, things actually were going okay for Elmer. Um, He began to work for his grandfather as a plumber, and it sounds like he was a great worker, and that business was going smoothly. But then Elmer would be hit with a string of absolutely devastating losses. In 1898, Elmer lost his job due to the economic crashes that were happening at the time. In August of 1900, so about two years later, he would lose his mother to a ruptured ulcer. Oh, no. And then a freaking month later, he lost his grandpa to Bright's disease. So just like in this two-year chunk of time, just like all of these really horrible tragedies, just like right in a row, are compounding on top of, you know, years of already kind of self-medicating with the alcohol, you know, and oh. he's not really processing anything, you know. Yeah. So I fairly feel bad for Elmer. Yeah. And this is all by the time he's 20? hmm Oh, my gosh. I know. Isn't that sad? Yeah. So, needless to say, Elmer was feeling pretty lost and rudderless, so he left Maine, and that's when the theme of Elmer's life took a turn away from the relative stability, I mean, all things considered, um, and then towards drifting in chaos so he traveled to a few places taking jobs here and there he was a miner and a plumber but he couldn't really hold down a job due to his struggle with alcoholism Mm. i know in 1905 he was arrested for public intoxication causing him to lose yet another job where he was at the time which was in a town called cherryvale kansas in 1907 elmer enlisted in the united states army and he was stationed at fort leavenworth in kansas it's reported that he was like loosely trained in some level of combat 
um, and like the operation of machine guns and explosives and all that kind of stuff. But he likely wasn't super thoroughly trained, uh, which will come up later. Uh He was honorably (laughs) disabled. It's like, how? (laughs) So he was actually honorably discharged on November 7th, 1910. Unfortunately, along with an army buddy, Elmer was arrested for possession of burglary paraphernalia like hacksaws, money bags, nitroglycerin, gunpowder, and things like that (laughs) on November 19th of that same year. So during his trial, he told the jury that he didn't plan to use any of the items that he was caught with for burglary, but instead that he and his partner were using those items for a foot-operated machine gun that they were trying to develop. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, okay, Elmer, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) Surprisingly enough, he was found not guilty by the jury, and he was released in January of 1911. So, yeah, they they just were like, yeah, you go build that foot-powered machine gun. America. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, they just took him right for his word. I, I'm going to imagine that he had some level of like, cause I actually didn't look too deep into the details of the trial to see if he was, you know, you planning on using that for burglary. Right. They couldn't necessarily prove it, but I, I just would love to have been a fly on the wall for that because like, How do you, what did he say? How yeah. did he get out of that? Well, and I can only imagine Convincing people I'm making a foot-powered machine gun in 1911. He was released in 1911. So whatever, 1908. Yeah, no, sorry. He Sorry. Shortly after he was discharged from the army, which was in November of 1910. Shortly after that is when he and another army buddy were arrested. Oh, okay. So it was only like a couple of months. Yeah. Yeah. Probably 1911 when they actually had the trial. Mm -hmm. So 1911, he's sitting there. Wow, that's crazy. It was over a hundred years ago. I know. He's sitting there telling these people, yes, I took this stuff to make a foot-powered machine gun. My guess is that he probably said, like, for the military. I was honorably discharged, you see. You know? True, true. Like, that's probably how he got away with it. I just feel like that's a really, that's a really wild, just thing to have in your backpack. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a vast array of things but anyway so it was shortly after he was released when his crimes escalated uh to bank and train robbery but most of his plans for robbing trains and banks were inevitably foibled because elmer wasn't super savvy <laughs> i wrote that he wasn't a exactly a savvy luton mastermind with an apostrophe so luton. bless you with that one luton, luton mastermind. <laughs> okay so i told you that at his trial he had possession of burglary paraphernalia mm-hmm. uh, the two relevant things there are the gunpowder and the nitroglycerin which can be used to make explosives mm, yeah so what our good friend elmer did was he took that those two items and his limited knowledge that he gained from being in the military when he had some like some level of the military training in combat and explosives. So what he did was he tried his best to utilize those things to commit burglary. So there are instances like at a bank, he failed to ignite like the fuse that he made on the little makeshift explosive and ended up not being able to actually bust into the vault. So he just took off with like whatever he could grab in his hands. And then another time on a train, uh, he did a train heist and he wasn't sure on like how much of each of the different like explosive elements he should use. He like, 
either did way too much or not enough. I'm going to guess way too much because what he ended up doing is instead of blowing the lock off of the safe, he actually blew up the entire safe. (laughs) So the money that he was expecting to make, like he was expecting to make a couple thousand dollars and he ended up walking away with just a bunch of melted silver that was worth like maybe 400 or $500 or something like that. So poor Elmer, he just, he really just couldn't figure out how to blow things up in a way that would actually make him money. 1911 was a very busy year for Elmer and some of his buddies. It was during this year that he took part in several pretty pathetic robberies of banks and trains between Kansas and Oklahoma. I mean, like I almost feel bad for him a little bit, (laughs) just a little bit, because every single one of the robberies were pretty decently planned out and then just extremely poorly executed. Or they were just like, what about that place? You know, it was kind of all over the place. I just feel bad for him. Huh. Just can't catch can't right. catch a stroke of luck besides getting acquitted on charges of burglary paraphernalia. <laughs> <laughs> so it really is a bummer because I feel like also if he would have been able to receive some level of help, you know, processing his trauma and yeah. also with his alcoholism, yeah. I really think, I mean, he had a lot of skills that could have made him a super useful worker that could have provided a life for him. And, yeah. you know, it's just really sad that at, at that time, there was not really anything. It was just like, oh, you're fired. Right. You know, it's just sad. I feel bad for him. But so then let's move on to October 4th, 1911. Elmer and two accomplices planned to intercept a massive sum of $400,000 in 1911 dollars. Wow. So that would be just shy of $12 million today if you factor in oh inflation. So that's like a lot of money. That's Ocean's one right there. <laughs> that $400,000 was a royalty payment intended for the Osage Native Americans who had oh. oil reserves on their land that they would essentially like lease areas of their land either to the government or to oil, uh, oil miners. But they maintained the ownership of the land at least for a period of time. I didn't dig too much into how that whole situation worked, but I did think it was interesting and I would like to learn more about that. So if you know anything about that, send me a message because... What? Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, Elmer and his friends were set to rob the Katie train containing that royalty payment, but instead misidentified and robbed a passenger train. Oh, the no. trio, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, Elmer. Oh, Elmer. Uh, the trio made off with roughly $46 and two jugs of whiskey, as well as a few other personal items belonging to passengers and crew on the train, like a revolver and the conductor's watch. I mean, uh, let's be honest. That's actually a pretty decent haul today, let alone. Yeah. I mean, maybe not for robbing a whole train. But it's not $400,000. not $12 million, you know? <laughs> so... I would not call that a slam dunk as far as robberies go. You know, it's like a, making the free throw, the first one, you know. No. Not even that. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, they, it's actually Maybe kind of funny. Making, I did make a note. the second free throw, not the first, missing the first one. Oh, well, I'm making the second one. It's getting fouled on a three-pointer and making zero of them. <laughs> This is actually hilarious. I made a note of this. It's been referred to as, quote, one of the smallest train robberies in history, end quote. (laughs) Oh, my God. I just had to include that. I thought that was good. So they did manage to escape, which I feel like was actually probably a pretty big accomplishment considering there were passengers on this train. So they went back to their little hideout in Oklahoma with their whiskey and not super full pockets, but like, you know, 
they got a little bit of loot. So little did they know, someone had tipped off authorities about Elmer's involvement in the train robbery and a $2,000 reward was offered for his capture. It would only be two days before sheriffs and brothers, Bob and Stringer Denton, Stringer. Stringer Denton. Bob and Stringer Denton and another sheriff named Dick Wallace formed a posse, complete with bloodhounds, the whole bit, to sniff Elmer out. It did not take them long to find out where he was hiding, and when they did, that's when the shootout began with Elmer firing first. In a barrage of bullets, Elmer was eventually struck in the chest and killed at the age of 31. Oh, man. I feel like telling this story, he always just sounds like he would be older than that. Yeah. Because, like, you're not that far off from 31. No, I'm not. I'm just a few months away from It's just crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. So I know that I kind of already went on a little mini rant about this, but it's honestly just, like, really sad. Yeah. I feel like everything was great until George passed away. And then once once George died, I feel like the whole trajectory for the rest of his life was just kind of set. Yeah. And I don't know. It's it's just a bummer. It is a bummer. Well, and it's like there's... There are so many letdowns in his life mm-hmm. that even <laughs> even getting the smallest train robbery <laughs> in history. You did it. You did it. Good Aww, job. Good job. At least something kind of went right. I know. Even it didn't, you know. But like all that to end up getting shot. I know. I know. It's just a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm still waiting to hear... Yeah, the story isn't done. The story isn't done. That is just Elmer's Elmer's life. I did see it reported um, in a couple of my sources that I was looking at that the jug of whiskey, at least one of the jugs of whiskey that he'd stolen from the train was completely empty when law enforcement looked through where Elmer and the guys had been staying. And it sounds like it was like a jug, like it wasn't like just a little thing. So he was likely pretty intoxicated also when the shootout took place. Like a jug, like, like... One of those old school, like on Parks and Rec, when he lifts up the whole thing and <laughs> yeah. drinks like that whole thing of, of moonshine or whatever uh-huh. it is. Yeah. We use that to strip the warts off the mules. <laughs> One of those big jugs. Yeah. Yes. It would not surprise me if you were thinking like, okay, this wannabe like hardened outlaw drifted around, sucked at robbing, eventually went out guns blazing. Like nothing all that strange or noteworthy about this, but as I've mm. sort of alluded to, more than once, <laughs> it was after Elmer's death when things got real weird. Hmm. So Elmer's body was taken to Joseph L. Johnson, who was the undertaker in Pawhuska, Oklahoma. His body went unclaimed for a very long time, around six months, before Johnson employed an embalming process that involved arsenic and some other stuff that was reported to preserve bodies for a longer time. So he did that, hmm. shaved and dressed Elmer, and just like kind of tossed him in the back of the funeral home until somebody would come and claim his body and pay him. Right. So at this point, Johnson was refusing to do anything with the body since nobody had paid him for his services. So he decided to change gears a little bit and use Elmer's body as an attraction to make money. Johnson charged five whole cents for visitors to come in and see Elmer labeled the bandit who wouldn't (laughs) give up, as well as plenty of other (laughs) super creative nicknames like, wait for it, the embalmed bandit. Oh wow! Yeah, I wish it could get more on the nose. <laughs> the like, I do like the bandit that wouldn't give up. He did his best. <laughs> he did his best. The bandit who did his best would have been. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is gross, but I did see it reported in several places that I was looking that when people would come in and see Elmer's corpse, they'd stick the nickels in his mouth, and then the undertaker would just like 
pop in and casually retrieve the nickels from his mouth at the end of the day. Oh. Which is like, like, I know it's the early 1900s, but like a bucket on the ground even makes more sense to me than just like, hmm, or be creative and put so a neat little nickel pocket <laughs> in yeah. the front of his shirt. Like, it wouldn't take you that long. Did you embalmed him. Like, you have the capacity to yeah. be creative. Want, did they just want to put things in his mouth? I don't know. Because he's a dead body? Like, Well, I don't know exactly how the whole nickel in mouth insertion game began. That just is, like, <laughs> so yeah. weird. But either way, he, like, rolled with it. He's like, okay, cool. Yay, nickels. Yeah. Bonus income. Mm-hmm. It's five cents to see him. Here's... Or is was it the five cents to see him that they were? Just I think it was there? like their admission. Yeah, uh, yeah. Weird. I don't know why they. I'm sure he had some sort of nickel receptacle that would have made more sense. Yes. But like, okay, what can you do? How full can you get his cheeks? Of <laughs> Girls. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so believe it or not, this was actually a pretty lucrative move on Johnson's part. He made actual money off of the crowds who came in to see the bandit. He had even turned down multiple offers that people had made to him to buy Elmer's body because it was like so oh, remarkably wow. preser- preserved. Like this looks like a person and the people were seeing like, this is attracting willing to pay audiences, you know, hmm. super strange. So he declined offers until a man who called himself Aver uh, called Johnson claiming to be Elmer's long lost brother. Aver had contacted local law enforcement and an attorney in the area to claim his brother's body and have it shipped to California so Aver could give him a proper burial where he lived. Yeah, so, where he's not getting nickels put in his mouth every day. Yeah. I, I, I know we're laughing about this, but like... That's it's pretty gross. It's really terrible. Yeah. I'm, we're laughing because it's ridiculous. Right. Like, that is absolutely bonkers. Maybe it wasn't that weird then, but it feels extremely weird now. You know? So, yes. like, I laugh when I'm uncomfortable. I feel like it's got to be weird then, though, too. Like, that's why his long-lost brother wants his body. Mm-hmm. Right? Hopefully. I hope. Okay, Maybe. Going. Yeah. I'm not giving is, you anything. <laughs> I hope this is not going to turn out like I'm hoping. This yep. is going to be worse. Okay. So, Aver and a man named Wayne, who also claimed to be Elmer's brother, arrived to claim Elmer's body and bring him to California to bury him respectfully. But as I've now given away, these men were not Elmer's long-lost brothers. They were, in fact, two men named James and Charles Patterson. James owned the Great Patterson Carnival Shows, which was a traveling carnival. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They gave Elmer his own exhibit, which they called The Outlaw Who Would Never Be Captured Alive, which wow. is another nickname. That is just, that's worse, honestly, than the <laughs> bandit who... What, what was his actual one? Not tried his best. The bandit I, who wouldn't give up. The bandit who wouldn't give up. <laughs> I'm just going to go with Honestly, the bandit who I tried like his best. they should have gone with, with your name. I know. That would have been way what better. Can you do? And more respectful. Yeah. The respect was not, unfortunately, not anything. That was not a recipe in this disgusting cake. So, once again, this proves that folks in the early 1900s were really, really good at coming up with super good names. Yeah. So the Pattersons eventually sold Elmer again, where he was featured in a museum of crime owned by a guy named Louis Sonny alongside wax replicas of other famous outlaws like Jesse James. So from 1922 to 1928, he was a staple exhibit here, just chilling in his little wicker makeshift, makeshift open coffin. He would eventually be featured in more traveling sideshows and strange exhibits, including being used as a promotional tool as an example of, quote, I, 
this isn't nice, quote, dope fiends for a movie called Narcotic, which was a not clever expose on drug abuse and drug users. It uh, From wow. everything that I saw about it, it was like just really rude. Not actually informative, not prescriptive, not even really descriptive, just propaganda. Exactly. The lore surrounding Elmer would sort of like morph as time went by. So let's zoom forward to 1949. Uh, Lewis Sonny had died. So Sonny's son, which is like Holmes's home, Sonny's son (laughs) went ahead and tossed Elmer's corpse into a Los Angeles storage unit, pulling him out again to be featured in a film in 1967. He has been dead oh, wow. for like, like 50 years, yeah. more than 50 years at this point. Isn't that nuts? Almost 60 so years. So well embalmed that they... he Like if you see pictures, because you can actually see pictures and I'll include some like in uh-huh. the post that we make about yeah. it. He starts not like decomposing how we would picture decomposing, but like he gets kind of waxy and sh- a little bit shriveled and mm. yeah, I'll show it to you. Okay. But it's it's crazy. Um, so, yeah, he was pulled out to be featured in a film in 1967. The film She Freak, directed by David F. Friedman, was a wild tale about a waitress who makes a side hustle by bringing food to workers at a carnival where she befriends some of the folks at the sideshow where then she eventually becomes the leader of the sideshow, gets high on power, and then the people who were in the sideshow offensively referred to as freaks at the time, chop off her legs and put her on display in the sideshow as the snake woman. So a real heart warmer. Yeah. Uh, Elmer was was in that movie. Haven't watched it, but I feel like I have. Wow. I feel like I don't need to. This was almost the 70s. Like, Yeah, we're getting to the the modern era here, and... I'm just like kind of dumbfounded that someone was like, hey, we've got a dead body in the back. Should we pull him out and let him be in this movie? Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm just going to assume that they didn't know that he was a corpse. They just straight up, they thought he was but legitimately. Like, no, actually, I'm not going to assume that they didn't think he was a corpse because he had been featured in things on purpose. Like the people who were producing these yeah. sideshows yeah. and these other things were using him as an attraction. So, Maybe they did know. Oh my gosh. Like they're just, let's use our, our cadaver. Yeah. Hey, let's pull out our, let's pull out our cadaver. Let's yeah. throw him up there. Like just for. He was not looking hot at this point either. Oh my goodness. Poor Elmer. So sometime after that, his body was stored alongside other horror props in the new Pike Laugh in the Dark Fun House. And that brings us back full circle to the beginning of the story. That is the wild part of his afterlife. Good news is that Elmer was eventually transported to Guthrie, Oklahoma, where he was given a proper burial. That's good. Complete with a super thick layer of concrete over his coffin to prevent anyone from stealing his incredibly famous corpse. Yes. And that is the story of Elmer McCurdy. Wow. Elmer. Elmer. R.I.P. Elmer. Man, he survived longer than he survived. I wonder what... 1911 pre-death Elmer would think of post-death Elmer. Like, what would he think? You know what would be kind of dark but funny is if he would have outright said, someday I'm going to be famous. I know. That would have been like (laughs) so cliche but perfect. Yes, Elmer. Yes, you will. You sure will be. Yes. Wow. That is an incredibly... 
uh, uh, unusual. Yeah. All capital U's mm-hmm. story. And I just can't help but think about how many people over the course of how many years was it total that he traveled? Um, so, the, so he died in 1917. No, no, he 21. No, 1911, 1911. So, died. yeah, 1911. And when the film crew that was filming or were filming the $6 million man came, it was 1976. So that's like a hot that's minute. 65 years. Yeah. 65 years of du- more than double his actual lifespan. Mm-hmm. He was used as a prop. Yeah. I mean, he was in storage and kind of like long forgotten for chunks of time. Sure. Until they found the cadaver body. Yeah. And then they were like, let's throw this guy on a movie. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, and I mean, it's also pretty safe to assume that he was in really rough shape when they found him because his arm fell off when they tried to move him. Right. So like he wasn't like preserved in the sense that, like, he looked the exact same as he was in life, you know? Yeah. So his... his. I'm just going to pull up a picture to, to, to show to, you. Yeah, to wrap this up. When they found his body hanging by a noose, that was for the $6 million man. No, like, that was a prop that was in the funhouse that they were shooting the $6 million oh, right, man right. in. Yes. Yes. So, so someone had just decided, let's throw this... There's some like early post-death and late post-death pictures. I'll put them up on the gram. Oh, I've seen this picture yeah, before. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Wow. He's so famous that I didn't even know that I'd seen him before. Yeah. Yep. That's his story. Oh, my goodness. This poor man. And there's his gravesite. Looks like it's a somewhat of a tourist attraction just looking on the old Google machine that people like to go and visit. I do see in some pictures people leaving him flowers. Oh, that's nice. That is nice. I don't feel like there's really a good way to end this. No. Like the story, like we, like I said, we laughed because it was ridiculous, but like, yeah. this is a super sad story. That's a real person. A real person. Yeah. I'm sorry to leave everybody uh, on like the world's saddest. Wah, wah. Well, with that on the bummer news, hopefully you were raised up to 30,000 feet. <laughs> with our with our our good feel good fact of the week and you've only been dropped onto your face once if <laughs> yeah this was miserable <laughs> anyway with that being said thanks for listening to the unusual unsettling and unsavory story this week unsavory I love that word. For sure. I feel like unusual. You were you were right. It was definitely unusual. But at the very end, I feel very unsavored. Mm-hmm. Un, unsavor read. I, that, yes. My taste buds are Language all is hard, up Kevin. Now. It's okay. Oh, thank well, you, Glenn Murray. Yes. Thank you, Glenn Murray. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that being said, thanks for listening to the unusual, unsettling, and very unsavory story today. Yes. Uh... If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave a glowing five-star review. Helps everybody else to find this podcast. And you can also follow us on our social media at This One Is A Doozy. We are not officially called This One Is A Doozy because we are This One's A Doozy, but our socials... Also the grammar of it. I wouldn't be able to you were sleep having a hard at time. night. You were having a hard time not being able to put an apostrophe in there. Yeah. So This One Is A Doozy. <laughs> at This One Is A Doozy for social media 
Twitter, Instagram, all that. All that. And And then also, if you have any stories, please send them to our Gmail at this one is a doozy, all spelled out at gmail.com. I want to hear any wild tales you have. I want to hear your conspiracy theories. Uh, I want to hear about your cryptid. If you, like I said last time, if you saw Bigfoot, tell me. I got to know. We need to, we need more. And if you have any suggestions, I am so thrilled to read them. So, yes. Anyway, yeah. All right. Well, with that, I'm Kevin. And I'm Haley. And we will see you next week for another doozy. Thank you. Bye. Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H E R O.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.